Texas talking. Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking. Ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas guys talking. Howdy, everyone. This is Tyler Norris. Texas director with the Cruise for President campaign, and you're listening to the Texas Tribune Tribcast. You know, with less than a week until the Iowa caucuses, over 800 volunteers from all over the country, especially Texas, have made their way to Iowa to support Senator Cruz. But there are reports of a tall, lumbering figure lurking in the snow and looking in the windows around Cruz campaign headquarters. Some have said it's Bigfoot, Others think it's the abominable snowman, but as it turns out, it's just the Tribune's Patrick Svitek on the hunt for his next story. Now here's your host, Ross Ramsey. Thank you. This is Ross Ramsey here with the Tribcast for the last week of January 2016. I'm joined by Editor-in-Chief and CEO Evan Smith. The, the thing I like best about that intro, I like many things about that intro. He has Ted Cruz's rhythms. He's starting to talk like his boss. It's like when you get older, your dogs begin to look like you, or you begin to look like your dog. Well, right? Patrick sounds like If I that? start doing that, I'm finding a new job. <laughs> is that, is that yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. One of those voices is reporter you Matthew may be, Watkins. You may be wondering Hello. why I called you here. <laughs> and, another one, and another one is reporter Alexa Ura. Hi. I, I was going to point out that the abominable Svitek is actually a really great way to think about it. Is he him. the guy walking around with the Ted Cruz listens to Nickelback sign? <laughs> no, that's Malowitz, actually. <laughs> Pretty great. Taylor so wanted somebody who was like him. So, so you want to start this political conversation with a dramatic reading? I do want to do a dramatic reading. So, so Progress Texas is one of the, I think it's fair to say, left-leaning, Democratic-friendly. We're, we're, yeah. we're recording this on Wednesday morning. Bruce. Last night, um, John Lujan beat Tomas Uresti. Republican John the, Lujan beat right. Democrat Tomas Uresti, the brother of right. the state senator, Carlos Uresti, from San Antonio. They were running for uh, the unexpired term of Joe Farias. Right, a Democrat. Democrat from San Antonio who uh, announced his retirement and, and stepped down early. And uh, everyone assumed, probably Mr. Farias himself assumed, that his son, Gabe, who wanted to replace his dad in the legislature, would be the candidate. But, in fact, he didn't get into the runoff in right. the initial round of this. Right. Tomas Uresti did. And so it's Tomas Uresti in a very heavily Democratic House district running against a Republican, John Lujan. So as predicted, I'm going to point out to you, Ross, I predicted <laughs> yesterday, the beer? I said the Republican, where's go. my He's beer? going to have to chug the beer. Right? I believe this was what was going to happen because San Antonio special elections are a dumpster fire, <laughs> right? And have been a dumpster fire for how long? If you're a Democrat- well, for the Democrats, I mean, oh. for the Republicans, it's, you know, this is a weenie roast. No, this I know. Is this is Sherry Sylvester jumping out of a cake. This is basically, <laughs> this is basically the greatest thing right. that ever happened. Oh, no. Thank God it's just audio. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, uh, Sherry likes to listen to this cast, and I want her to know that that was meant in the most positive way. She's excited. She's celebrating, and she has cause to celebrate. The, Her side is winning. The comedy stylings of Evan Smith. <laughs> so, can we get to Ed, this dramatic reading? <laughs> yes, <laughs> so Ed Espinosa, who is the executive director of Progress Texas, one of the Democratic leaning groups that plays in politics in Texas. It's not a Democratic leaning group. It's a Democratic policy group. Well, it's straight it's, up. They, yeah, it's not right, a lean. I'm trying to be generous. Okay. <laughs> so Ed Espinosa sends out a press release after this loss by Tomas Uresti last night, saying that the reason we lost is not because of Republicans won, but because Tomas Uresti sucks and was a terrible candidate, was not the candidate we wanted. And this is the last paragraph of what will go down in the annals as one of the great press releases of all time. Quote, I'm not upset about the loss. I'm upset that we had a terrible candidate. 
The difference between Republican John Lujan and Democrat Tomas Uresti is the difference between cat shit and dog shit. <laughs> So, does he have the same PR people as John Sharp? Oh, my. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Chip Brown, I feel you. Um, look, look. You want to have a strong point of view about what happened last night in the election? Go right ahead. You want to understand the state of things politically for the Democrats right now? It's that their own side is calling their candidate. I guess they're calling their candidate dog shit as opposed to cat right. shit, right? I couldn't sort of parse that. Who knows who yeah. better? Right. right. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Also, Democrats, you've got a seat that is arguably 80% Democratic. It's not It's not one of those. 70%? It's, no, it's, it's a Democratic seat, but John Cornyn won in that seat. He's a San Antonio guy, but he won in that seat. Um, yeah, but you know, the Wendy the, Davis from Lost the, the, Bear County the other, won that district. The other races were relatively close. It is a Democratic district. It's not an overwhelmingly Democratic the district. Idea they should have won is, the seat. The idea that a Democrat does not walk away right. with that race. Here's, here's what the I'm saying. The idea. I mean, special elections and runoffs in special elections in San Antonio is a toxic cocktail, right, politically. And now they've got one more. So the so well they've yeah, got exactly a right. Ruth McClendon's they just <laughs> they've got a couple more of these. Uh, so they they Ruth McClendon's seat is going to come up in a special. But they you know immediately what happens with these candidates is both of the guys who were in the race last night are in contested primaries. So if Lujan gets out of his primary and if Uresti gets out of his primary, then we have a rematch. Farias is in that primary. Farias is hoping to come back right. and mm -hmm. be the candidate and then, in the fall. In any case, we go to November and find out, you know, part of the answer to can Republicans win in districts like this um, when Democrats and Republicans are, are all voting. So, so, two, so we'll two, find out in November. Two observations. So one is that Manny Garcia, the deputy executive director of the Democratic Party of Texas, uh, put out a release after this announcement of the winner, John Lujan, did not reference pet excrement. He <laughs> did goodness. say the, that it was he, the non-fecal announcement. He did, he did say he did say, well, uh, uh, who cares? Because John Lujan is never going to take a vote, cast a vote in the Texas legislature. His point was that by the time January rolls around, there will have been a regular election, right. in the regular cycle, and Democrats are going to come back and win. Could happen, might not happen, could happen. So that's his his, his point. Um, I, I think that's significant. But here's the larger, I think, the larger thing to say. San Antonio is now a city that has shown itself to be atypically willing, despite its demographics, to consider conservative candidates, Republican candidates. You point out that John Cornyn, who is admittedly from San Antonio, uh, uh, wins there. Uh, Wendy Davis lost Bear County. Right. Um, this John Lujan thing is uh, significant. Um, Jose Menendez beating Trey Martinez Fisher is as Very close to right. a Republican beating a Democrat without the candidate who won winning is actually a Republican. He's not actually a Republican. Well, that was interesting because right. their voting records are very, okay. very similar, mm -hmm. you, but right. Menendez had uh, Republican You, you have a congressional seat, Congressional District 23, which has flipped back and forth between Democrat and Republican right. depending upon the election year and is currently being represented in Congress by one of three black Republicans mm -hmm. in all of Congress, Will Hurd. Right. And you have a mayor of San Antonio, mm -hmm. Ivy Taylor, who has has not been particularly uh, visibly partisan in one direction or another. She is governing a largely Democratic city, 
but was not the Democrat really in that race, if you think about it. Well, if only race. because Letitia Vandepute was so decidedly Democratic. Right, and there's right. all right. this fuss now about the fact that on MLK Day, Ivy Taylor locked arms or hands, clasped hands with John Cornyn in the MLK Day march in San Antonio, leading to some to speculate that Ivy Taylor may be a closet Republican and that the Republicans may be identifying <laughs> Ivy Taylor as a potential Sitting candidate a for tree. statewide. Hey. No, but seriously, <laughs> that Ivy Taylor may be a potential statewide candidate for office running as an African-American Republican woman. If she ran as an African-American Republican woman, she would be, other than Mia Love in Utah, the congresswoman mm -hmm. who is the first black Republican woman ever to serve in Congress, Ivy Taylor instantly has this enormous national profile. San Antonio has become the home of Republican diversity. And Robert Stovall, who is the party chair in Bear County last night, right. uh, after Lujan won, said, we in San Antonio are modeling for the rest of the country how Republicans can win Latino votes. And it's hard to argue with him at this point. I understand this is a special right. election runoff, but the Democrats have a win is a win no, is a win. have yeah. no sufficient, to my mind, answer. I go back to what I said. This is a dumpster fire and has been a dumpster fire for Democrats over the last year. Yeah. And they've got absolutely nothing that they can say in response. Well, and San Antonio was always this big platform for Hispanic lawmakers i mean from kind of both parties but really just hispanics in general it was great for them and but for a long time that meant democrats and as you've seen and we saw that when julian castro gave up his mayoral spot and sort of started this dominoes of elections all over the place and, and many of those republicans won in, in direct or indirect ways and so now you're seeing sort right. of this surge San Antonio is becoming this platform for Hispanics, but for Republican Hispanics well, in many ways, I have Aaron and, and non-Hispanic I have Aaron Pena's words ringing in my uh, ears when Aaron Pena was a state representative from the Valley and switched, famously switched parties, um, ultimately didn't seek re-election as a Republican, right. but he famously switched parties after getting elected as a Democrat, whatever number of term he won, and then switched and served and then retired. What he said was, as a general statement about this subject, that Democrats, or his, uh, d uh, Democrats tend to take the Hispanic vote for granted. Right. And that at some point, one of these days, the Latino community is going to go, stop taking us for granted. We're in, you know, we're up for grabs. Right. See Bear County below. Right. And mm -hmm. I think that this right. Bear County thing is essentially the long tail of Aaron Pena's admonition to Democrats to stop taking Latino population for granted. Now, the, the Democrats will come back. They'll hear this. They'll consider the results after a day. They'll put their cat shit and dog shit metaphors in the bank or whatever or in the drawer. And they'll go, some, some okay, bank. look, what happened here is this is a special election. It's a runoff. This is an anomaly. We'll see. I want to just touch on the next thing, which sort of leads from San Antonio. Castro is, you know, sort of one of the leading conversational candidates for vice president. Um, and now we have another Texan in the conversation about vice president. Did you see the Hill endorsed a Texas governor for vice president and said it would be One a Texas perfect governor. way to leaven uh, Donald Trump? They, su they suggested Trump Abbott 2016. Right. And I thought to myself, Greg Abbott will be Donald Trump's running mate when pigs fly out of my behind. I'm just, you know, it's, it's quite a mental image. But the, so the presidential race, we finally get a vote on Monday. Uh, two things of, of, of note, I guess, you know, Trump is fighting with Megyn Kelly and Fox News, which is sort of an interesting show. And Ted Cruz's closer uh, was Rick Perry. Um, so how's this thing look? I couldn't tell you sitting here on Wednesday before the Iowa caucus how this is going to turn out any more than I was able to tell you 
six months ago that we'd be where we are today. I, you know, you're the swami. You sold, told us Luhan was going to win. I did tell you. I you're told chugging you the beer. <laughs> um, you know, the, the decision to, to stay out of the debate by Trump is either going to turn out to be a brilliant decision or a stupid, incredibly stupid decision that people will be talking about uh, for all time. Um, I wonder if he craters the ratings if he's if he's not there. Probably he, he, and, and gets yeah. that and gets that argument. You know, but, as you right. see, I'm the most right. exciting thing here and turns yeah. the story that way. The, the problem is though is that all these candidates have been, you know, vying for attention for so long, and right. Trump has been dominating it, and now they get their chance to make their case without. But they also don't get see a chance. what they do with oxygen. They don't get a right. chance to whack him to his face. Right. Well, the, they definitely use him in those debates. Right. 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 You know, and they'll and they'll spend you know a fair amount of time. You know, one of the Cruz's supporters had a line that I think we're going to probably hear some more. If you're afraid of Megyn Kelly, what are you going to do with Hillary Clinton? Um, so kind yeah, of but, but, of course, this race has been filled with one after another after another things that Donald Trump has said or done or been discovered to have done right. mm-hmm. that would have disqualified any presidential candidate of either party mm-hmm. in any previous election cycle immediately. And the guy is made of titanium. Everything hits him and bounces off. Nothing pierces his armor. He continues to just sort of, you know, chug, chug, chug along. Ordinarily, you'd think, well, person at this last hour decides not to participate in a debate, and they're going to make the whole Donald Duck uh, thing happen, right? (laughs) Well, you know, see see if you remember this. So remember remember Dewhurst and Cruz in the Senate race. Cruz wanted to debate Dewhurst or wanted to appear at Tea Party forums around the state with Dewhurst. Right. Anytime, any place, all the time. Dewhurst declined to appear at these forums. And we actually had uh, Dewhurst across the street at the Austin Club during this race. And John Drogan, I believe it was, or John McClellan, one of the Jays in the Cruz orbit. Jason Johnson or somebody dressed in a duck outfit standing outside the Austin Club to, you know, Dewhurst is ducking debates. Well, they're back to using the old duck thing again. They put up a website within about two seconds last night with Trump as a duck. Right. They're going to make a whole big thing about Trump ducking. Donald Trump is not David Dewhurst. Mm-hmm. I'm not certain that what worked in the old race would necessarily work here. The Donald is not the do. I mean, this is the guy who started his campaign saying Mexico isn't sending its best. It's sending rapists and murderers. And if anyone else on the campaign trail had said that, if they had launched their campaign that way, they would not be around. They, right. yeah. Nothing but, sticks to him. And it's also someone who's participated in, what, eight debates? I don't even know what the number is. Right. He can say I debated. You know, yeah. I, you know, I, I done did it. You know, so, so shouldn't is, say that. If, either, <coughs> pardon me. Either this will go really well for him or it will yeah. go really badly for him. And there's no way of knowing. But the good news is we're going to know next week. <laughs> well, right. You know, and, and, and honestly, this, this we'll is, know by this, Monday, this right? Is, this is the question that we have to essentially ask, and we don't have an answer adequately for, but we're going to see. There is a line of conventional wisdom. It's not embraced by everybody, but there's a line of conventional wisdom that if Cruz does not win Iowa, Trump wins Iowa, and then Trump goes on to win New Hampshire, that this race is over, that the Republican race could I, conceivably know. be over faster than the Democratic race, depending upon what happens, that the likeliest scenario here may be that Trump wins both. I, you know, that's a momentum argument. I like the math argument better. Um, well, we'll see. But, I, I'm not saying I necessarily believe it, but I do think that it's interesting that the – a couple of weeks ago, it did not appear that this race would be over anytime soon. Um, it appeared that uh, Cruz was going to win Iowa. It is by no means a certainty that Cruz wins. It's by no means a certainty that Trump wins. Right. But if Trump wins and then Trump goes on to win New Hampshire, which he's now leading by about a Brazilian points, um, 
shape of this race is very different. Could be interesting. So there's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, some people got indicted this week. You want to yep. tell us about that? Yeah, a uh, Harris County grand jury on Monday, or at least it was announced on Monday, handed down three indictments handed for up. handed up. Always hand I'm them up sorry. to the bench. Yeah. Um, three indictments against two anti-abortion <laughs> activists behind those undercover videos of Planned Parenthood staff in Houston talking about harvesting fetal tissue for research, and the I mean these videos sort of. They just they came out last summer, and Republicans there was this big outcry from Republicans about these allegations that Planned Parenthood was illegally selling fetal tissue. And Dan Patrick was the one who actually called for this investigation in Harris County um, by a Republican DA, and it ended up it resulted instead in the indictments against these two folks for two charges for um, tampering with a governmental record for each of them and then an additional charge for one of them for um, intentionally and knowingly offering to buy fetal tissue, which is illegal. So specifically, they used falsified California driver's licenses to um, as their bona fides and right. with, with fake names on them. With and, fake names. And then uh, one of them sent an email, as I understand? Yes. We, we, we've gotten a little bit more information about this after now that the indictments have been become public, but apparently there was an email that this one anti-abortion activist David DeLayden, who's sort of the, the head mastermind behind all of these videos, he sent this to Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast in Houston with a with an agreement about offering money for fetal tissue. With to an offer. With, with an, an, with an actual offer, 750 for one type of fetal tissue and 1600 for a different type of fetal tissue. And in, by, in the Texas Penal Code, that's enough to get you a Class A misdemeanor. Right. So where do we go from here? This is, you know, the, the videos and all of that were a giant setback for Planned Parenthood, and they've been kind of on their heels in, in some ways through the summer and, and, and fall. Yeah, I mean, I think so there are two parts. I think there's two parts. There's obviously the legal battle that will happen in Houston right. and, and how that will carry out. But I think the second part is what effect this will have on the GOP's sort of fight against Planned Parenthood that happened because of these videos. I mean, you can say that in a lot of ways, these videographers kind of already got what they wanted. They got all of these hearings. They got these bills trying to defund Planned Parenthood. They are supposed to be kicked out of Medicaid in Texas, though that actually hasn't happened yet. And so you have all these things happening, but then at the same time, the actual, the tangible policy effects that this will have in Texas aren't still clear. Because right. we, they're still in Medicaid. State officials have yet to pull the trigger on that. And a lot of the legislation that's being proposed by state lawmakers as a result of this is largely covered by federal law, including the fact that selling fetal tissue is already banned in the Texas Penal Code. So there was a... Um you're going to have to help me with the language on this. I don't remember all the things. There was a notice of termination or a notice of mm -hmm. uh, from the state's Health and Human Services Commission basically said, we're going to cut you off in a month, mm -hmm. and then they've suspended that deadline, and I guess... Um, We're still waiting on it. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the notes on, you know, the post-indictment press releases from Governor Abbott, from Lieutenant Governor Patrick, from Attorney General Paxton all said, you know, the investigations continue and we roll forward from here. Right. If a grand jury already passed on this, what are the, what's the investigation? Well, and, and it's, we have no details about any of these investigations. We know that um, Paxton's office and we know that Health and Human Services investigators have been to Planned Parenthood facilities, but we have no details as to what they've actually found and if there's been anything problematic in what they've found. And that's completely separate from the Medicaid argument 
government. That's a that's a whole separate. There, there's effort. a there's a matter of law and a matter of politics. Right. In every issue. Right. And if the matter of law doesn't go their way, which they can't control, then let's turn to the matter of politics. It would have been great from them from a brand standpoint if the matter of law had gone their way. But the fact that the matter of law has not gone their way, they're going to immediately avert their gaze from the grand jury, and they're going to go, okay, what can we do about this politically? How can we make hay of this politically? They're free to do whatever they want. Right. Right? Well, and these and these investigations can be ongoing until they want them to be, and we can't get any details because they're ongoing. And so, I mean, there are several states who have come out and who actually did investigate Planned Parenthood in light of these videos and have cleared them of any wrongdoing. Right. And Texas is, is one of the holdouts, no surprise there, but it's really up to the politicians in charge. Doesn't it seem overstated to say that this is a huge victory for Planned Parenthood? I mean, it's it's a huge victory in the sense that had they been, had the, the, the legal matter gone the other way, that presented a whole new set of problems for right. them. But in terms of the political argument happening at the state level yeah, in some places. It doesn't appear to change the, the political argument level, much at all. It doesn't right. seem to. It doesn't seem to, but I, I think it, it all. Ken Paxson more or less basically <laughs> tweeted out that shrug symbol on Twitter in response shruggy. to this. You know, it's a shruggy is that symbol. shruggy? Yeah. He's not going to, sh- sh- you know, the, the, the reality is from the standpoint of the people who run the state, and I mean in this case very specifically, Abbott, Patrick, and Paxton. Their attitude about this is whatevs. But I well, think it's like, sorry, go ahead. As, this also isn't just a statewide political fight. It's a nationwide political fight. And I think in the nationwide fight, it helps. It helps to have that headline that these people who it made these Planned videos mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. were indicted on criminal charges when when supposedly this, the people in Houston, these Texans, were investigating you know, supposedly Planned Parenthood based on these videos, mm-hmm. and they came out and they indicted yeah. the, the opponents instead. But at the end of the day, I don't know that this changes anyone's mind who was on either side of this issue before any of this started. I don't know that it steered public opinion enough to where you could measure I that you- I hated Planned yeah. Parenthood right. before this because I thought they did all this awful stuff. Oh, now it turns out that kind these of guys them. falsified documents. Oh, now I'm totally cool if, with Billy. If, 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 if the evidence here is the anecdotal evidence of the commentary on our and other stories on the Internet, nobody moved at all, and everybody's still riled <laughs> right. up. Right, everyone still thinks what they thought before all of this started. Right. Well, the other part of this is, you know, it's like the old line that they, um, they convict you on A1 and they acquit you on C23. Right. You know, so all people know about this is they heard selling fetal tissue. Well, now that we're sort of in the... Okay, now it turns out maybe that, that what was alleged didn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's going to sort of be that's essentially been buried in the mind of a lot of the people who just heard selling fetal tissue at the beginning, and they're not necessarily going back and going, "Okay, now I'm going to erase. I can't unhear that." Right. Yeah. I just think it's hard. Somebody said yesterday. I think there's a legitimate aspect of this that, in some ways, despite the fact that Planned Parenthood won the legal battle, the videographers kind of won the war. I, I don't know. I would I would argue with that. Yes, you saw sort of this uprise around around among Republicans. It was sort of what they were waiting for to reignite this battle. But I just I don't know that this has long lasting effects and that Planned Parenthood actually lost enough support for this to hurt them. Well, I think it goes back to what you said a minute ago. I think, you know, I don't know that this entire back and forth moved anybody. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, solidified people. It wrote, you know. If you're a little cynical, but not too cynical about this, everybody's getting a fundraising letter out of this. You know, both sides are both sides are oh my God, ginning up totally, their folks. That's and, totally yeah. true. Yeah. You know, and you know they sort of gird themselves for the next fight and move on. I mean, well, well, obviously, fetal tissue will come up during the next legislative session, and this probably wouldn't have happened without these videos. But like I said, it, to what extent they'll move to 
pass any sort of legislation on this isn't clear because a lot of that is already covered in federal law. And the only thing that they, one of the only things that they could do is give state regulators more power over this issue, which is kind of ironic that the Republican Party would further regulate something. I mean, it's just, it's such a back and forth on this. And I don't know exactly what will happen in the next legislative, legislative session. It'll come up, but to what extent it'll have an effect, it's still unclear. Yeah. So let's talk about Nobel Prize winners and guns and campuses and what the heck. <laughs> All right. So um, as uh, another the, the, shruggy. News, the, the, the state, the news in the state never fails us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, as uh, I guess a lot of people know, the the legislature this year passed a campus carry law that allows people with concealed handgun licenses to carry their guns on campuses. Um, the currently the universities are coming up with their rules for how they'll comply with this law. Basically, they've been given the opportunity to create a, some limited gun free zones on their campus, um, but the gun free zones can't have the broad effect of you know making it impossible for you to carry your gun. Uh, so. At UT Austin uh, this week, uh, President Finviz uh, appeared before the faculty council, uh, basically to just kind of update them on his plans, um, how where he is in this process, which is basically still reviewing the uh, the law and and what he exactly he can do on this. Um, he expects to have his plans uh, ready. Uh, uh, mid mid February, um, and uh, I guess then took questions from the crowd and. One of the people who kind of stood up to talk was uh, UT Austin's only Nobel laureate, a physics professor named uh, Steven Weinberg. And he basically said, I know it's against the law. Um, you know, the writing's on the wall, and it seems pretty clear that UT and the other schools are going to make the decision that they can't ban handguns in classrooms. And he basically said, I'm putting it on my syllabus that guns aren't allowed. I'm banning guns. It might get me sued, it might get me in trouble, but I'm going to do it because I, I think I have the right to. And this- And the crowd went wild. And, and the crowd, yes, and there was a sustained applause. He's 82. He's I mean, 82. The other thing is he's a Nobel laureate. He won the Nobel more than 30 years ago, mm -hmm. right? He's this like super famous guy. He's not a guy who has injected himself into a ton of political fights on campus. He mm -hmm. tends to kind of do his thing. Right. So it was, it was significant that it was him. Yeah. And well, the way we, he did it, as you said, was quite significant. Yeah. We, were, we were joking yesterday. You know, it's physics. It's a Nobel Prize. He's like the smartest guy on campus. The only thing that would make him <clears> sound <throat> smarter is if he had a British accent. Yeah. It, you know, it's you know it it, and and he's in a position to say things that other faculty members don't feel yeah, like they are. But of course, the argument, because he's one of the he's one of the people he's one of the temples. You, you remember, and also because yeah. he could retire and just avoid all yeah. of this, he, like he said, he, which he's now said, which he's now yeah. said. He seems to sincerely believe that he has a First Amendment right in order to academic freedom and just a right to, um, you know, speak freely in his class that he should have control of his classroom and, and what's done in there. I think the, the example he used in a, a follow up article that our fellow Madeline wrote was um, he can say that people who haven't taken, you know, uh, I can't remember what calculus. the class was, some yeah advanced calculus or something can't take his class. So he should have a right to say that people with guns and, and basically if he if he is scared. You know, he he has conversations in physics. You know, he's talking about it on a level where where you're talking about whether there's the existence of God, whether you know. Well, he's been also he, he is academically he's quite passionate about um, the intersection of religion and pol religion and politics. Yeah. This is a big thing for him. He's not a big believer in religion and politics mixing. 
he religion talks and about science. religion and science mixing. <laughs> yeah. He's a big he, he addresses kind of co- weighty, controversial topics, mm-hmm. and I think he thinks that could be a catalyst for some kind of debate that would go wrong. Exactly. In the classroom setting. So the the issue here is, I mean, he seems to sincerely believe that that he's in the right here, but. I think most people with law degrees who have looked at this law would agree, even the ones that don't support campus carry would agree that he's not, and that any kind of legal stand he tries to take, he's going to lose. So back up to the beginning of this. So Fenvis is talking to the faculty council and figuring out what he can do. Exactly. What's, what is the what he can do? Is, is, the, is the preference on campus to have guns wherever you can allow them or or to disallow them wherever you can disallow them. So he appointed a task force to kind of review this law and the task force came out and said, you know, the the two big questions here have been can you allow them in in classrooms and can you allow them in dorms? Um, You know, there's some pretty obvious places where you can ban them, which is, you know, like uh, daycare centers, places where there's dangerous chemicals being kept, things like that. And then there's other places where it's more of a question. And the classrooms and the dorms have seemed to be the dividing lines. And many people on the faculty, many people on the faculty have argued that they should be able, that there should be a ban of guns in classrooms or they personally should be able to ban guns in their classrooms. And basically, the, the task force, which included a you know former Supreme Court Texas State Supreme Court justice, multiple law professors, said you know we've read this law and we don't think it would hold up. That we don't think a classroom ban would hold up. Um, Finvis so, has so basically you're going to have to have a really really tight exactly. good reason to ban guns anywhere on a campus. Yeah, and the idea is basically like a lot of yeah. people are coming on campus to go to class. So saying you can't bring your gun into class is basically saying you can't bring your gun on campus. The other possibility was they could set up some gun storage facilities outside the classrooms, but that presents a whole lot of other problems, security, and also people were concerned about accidental discharges when they were moving into the security. Who's, who now, other than, you know, you've got this law in the books and you've got the legislators who are in, for, in favor of this, who is on campus advocating for concealed carry on campus? I mean, is there another voice in here? Well, I mean, really, the the loudest people these days, there's a group called Students for Concealed Carry, and they send out some press releases, and there was this one protest where the, the mock mass shooting on UT that, right. that got a lot of attention. But other than that, that side has been pretty quiet. Um, I mean, mainly, I think, because they've gotten what they've won. They won. And, yeah, <laughs> right. and the, well, right. the administrators... Yeah. Quietly doing the icky shuffle. Yeah, the attorney general, <laughs> the administrators, even people right. who have been opposed to the law have basically said that we've got to do this. Um, can, can I ask you? Can I ask you a question about this? So, so you know, the the I'm reminded of the conversation that came up around gay marriage. Yeah, that's exactly. What so I'm the county saying. clerks decide, as a matter of principle, we want to opt out of issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples who come to see us. And the argument was, well, look, you're a public employee. This right. is the law. Right. You are not bound. Right to stay in your job. If you don't want to follow the law piece, find another job. Jeff Leach, the state representative from Plano, made this argument on Twitter yesterday related specifically to Steven mm-hmm. Weinberg. How is it possible that somebody who is a public employee, a professor of a public university, can choose to disobey the law? If you don't want to obey the law, quit. So Steven I Weinberg's think, the Kentucky County Clerk yeah. now? I, He's basically Steven <laughs> Weinberg is Kim Davis. I think he recognizes right? this. And I think, one, he thinks that he he'll, he's willing to take this to court. Um, like I guess Kim Davis 
was at, at, at one point. Boom, splat. Yeah. But <laughs> but I think the problem here is that he's putting his administrators in a really difficult position because they have said that they're going to uphold the law. They In fact, McRaven came back around yesterday. This is the chancellor said, of UT. Right. I wonder if it was directly in response to Weinberg. I saw the it, headline. It, it, the, the question came up. They didn't specifically mention Weinberg, but they were referring to Weinberg's case, and he was responding to that. And question. McRaven said, "We're going to follow yeah. the law." Yeah. Well, I mean, but, it just seems here, like everything else that we've talked about. It's all about the message. I mean, that's what he's trying to accomplish yeah. in the end. But here's the problem: he's the only Nobel Prize winner on campus. We, our, the governor Greg Abbott, has made a big point of bringing professors like this to UT, to A and M, and the other universities. Well, I'm sure Abbott he, will defend Weinberg, he, right? He had an event yeah, sure. at the governor's well, mansion. It when does he brought send a high in. sign to all the people that you're right. And so if this law is going to cause them to lose their one new Nobel Prize winner, that that's going to be a problem. Make it more difficult to recruit other people. Well, in fact, like he's that, not the right? first faculty right. member to, to threaten to resign or to actually resign. There was like old professor Crankyberger, what was his name? Who well, was the last non-Nobel guy. Prize winner. Somebody right. else yeah. previously, <laughs> but this is, the, this is a more significant. No, no physics, no fake British accent. Definitely. I think, I think it definitely is. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave it there. If you have questions or comments, email them to tripcast at texastribune.org. You can also sign up for Tripcast Alerts at texastribune.org slash tripcast. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for our music on behalf of Evan, Alexa, Matthew, and our producer Todd. This is Ross. Thanks for listening. Texas Twin Peaks aired originally before you were born. Sure. It was really great, though. Mm.